Good morning, everyone. Hey, hey. Oh, man. Worship was awesome this morning, guys. Of course, it always is. And I don't just say that because I'm up here sometimes. Maybe a little bit. Oh, man. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, Obviously, I am not Pastor Corey. Uh, Pastor Corey and Allie welcomed their new baby a few weeks back, so he's asked a few of us to step in and speak for him uh, these couple weeks. Of course, John did it last week. I, I actually didn't know if I was going to be able to speak today. I talked to John about this last week. I don't actually own a pair of ripped jeans. Um, John was supposed to hook me up with that, but... As you can see, he didn't come through, so uh, yeah, I, I didn't know if it was going to happen or not, um, but here I am anyway. Um, just real quick, Pastor Corey wanted me to read this. Uh, Pastor Corey, Reclaim Church and its affiliates should not be held liable for the contents of the following message. Um, I don't know what that means, but he made sure I put that in bold at the top of my notes. Um, <clears throat> no, seriously though, I am glad to be here. I hope that Uh, What I have for you guys today um, is somehow impactful to you. Um, I haven't done this in a long time, so it's a unique thing for me. Of course, I'm up here on the stage every once in a while for worship, but it's a totally different realm getting to speak. Um, So Pastor Corey actually asked me to do this a while back, and I hadn't. some things came up, or at least as far as he knows, some things came up um, that prohibited me from doing it. And so I figured if he was going to go and have a baby, I would... I would, I would do it this one time for him. So I was really struggling, though, about what I should speak on today because uh, there was a lot of thoughts going through my mind, but in uh, classic eight fashion, oh, we're not supposed to talk about the numbers. <laughs> disclaimer, go back to the disclaimer. Um, we, uh, I, I felt God just so strongly say, talk about yourself, Clay. I was like, hey, I know how to do that. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit about my walk this morning and what I've come through in my life and hopefully in a real and relevant way to everybody that makes sense and maybe something that helps you out uh, this morning um, and just what I walked through and maybe it'll be beneficial to you this morning. So about me, I was born in the year 1980 something. That kind of makes me like an elder around here, I guess. I've come to find out. Um, The only reason I say September is because we're in September now and if do with that information what you will. I may have a birthday this month. If you want to put that in your notes to go back and see. Um, My beautiful wife, Samantha, is here this morning, and my two children. We've been coming to Reclaim for a while now. Love this church so much with all our heart. Um, I was born into a pastor's home. My father is a pastor, and actually my mother's an ordained minister as well. My father still pastors a church to this day. Um, So we grew up in church and grew up Uh, knowing of Jesus from a very early age and knowing about him. And it was awesome to be able to get to do that. Obviously, there's some struggles that can come with that as well, which we'll get into. But I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, We we grew up the first few years of my life in a place called Hardy County. It's a little about two hours south of here. And some of my earliest memories are church and being in church and being in church on Sunday morning and being in church on Sunday night. 
and Monday night for prayer and Tuesday night for prayer and Wednesday night for youth and Thursday night and so on and so forth. I was in church a lot, um, and I, I, some of my earliest memories are being in church. When I was young, um, the first church that my dad was at, he was actually a youth pastor at an Assembly of God church. And I remember um, that being some of my first memories in churches at that church. Uh, I have one brother. That's all the siblings I had. And when we were young in this church, my mom, um, she was very involved with music, where I get most of my musical abilities is from her side of the family. Everybody on my mom's side of the family is very musically inclined. Um, She loved and instilled with us a love of Elvis. So my title of my message this morning, and hopefully it'll make sense, is You're No Jesus, You're No Elvis. Hopefully it'll make sense by the end. I liked Elvis a lot. My, my mom made sure of it. Even if I never was destined to do that, she made sure she loved it uh, so much that she passed it along to us. When we would get ready on Sunday mornings when my dad was a youth pastor at the church, she would literally play the same record every Sunday morning. And I know what you're thinking, Elvis, right? Um, it was actually a record, like vinyl, needle record, and it was his gospel album. And uh, we used to love this song that he had called Run On. And in the morning, getting ready for church, we would uh, listen to this, to this gospel album, Elvis. And man, uh, she would shown us a few videos over the years, not everything Elvis, but in those first years of my life. And I liked Elvis. I mean, what was not like about him, right? I mean, most people know, hopefully everybody knows who that is. Um, most people know him as the king of rock and roll, right? legendary voice, legendary dancing. They just come out with a new movie about him. I feel like they took a little bit of liberties with it. I'm not suggesting you go watch that movie either, by the way. Disclaimer. (laughs) Uh, Disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, Yeah, so he was revolutionary in his time. I mean, even if you didn't like Elvis or you maybe grew up in the era or you've read a lot about him, he was revolutionary. He was doing things um, that, that no one was doing on stage. There's a lot of controversy about where he got his songs and stuff like that from. But as far as him as an actual performer, he was revolutionary. So I wanted to be Elvis because my mom loved him. I got to see some things. So I'll never forget, we were in church, and my parents always sat on the front row right next to the senior pastor, and me and my brother would stand kind of like just off behind them so they couldn't see us, you know, because obviously we weren't always engaged at those young years that we should have been. And yeah, exactly. And so um, we... I'll never forget, it was one Sunday during uh, the music time, and of course, I grew up in a traditional church, and we were probably singing out of the hymnal, like some I'll I'll Fly Away or something like that, and I'm right behind my mom and dad, and I'm, I, the spirit of Elvis had come upon me that Sunday morning, okay? I mean, I was feeling it. My, everything was going. I mean, God even blessed me a little bit of the hair of, you know, I, I was, I had it all going. So my mom and dad obviously didn't see that because if they would have, I probably would have got a backhand of, of Jesus, you know, um, but they did not see it. But little did I know at the time, right behind me in the next row was my kid's church teacher. So we were dismissed after worship, kind of like we do here, and I get back into kids' church, and uh, she pulls me aside, Clay, come here for a second. Come here for a second. Hey, I saw you were um, kind of dancing, getting into it in, in worship. What, what's going on? I said, 
I feel like I'm Elvis. I feel like I'm Elvis. And I could just see the shock in her face because my dad was a pastor, and she's like, uh, Elvis, are you, is that who, are you sure? I was like, yes, ma'am, I'm Elvis. And she very kindly looked at me right in the face and said, Clay, I love you, but you are no Elvis. I was dismayed. I was shocked and perplexed. Um, But I essentially got over that one. Um, So as we were growing up, we did grow up in a Christian home. Um, We moved out of Hardy County when I was younger and we moved to Polk County where my dad took his first church. Um, One cool thing about growing up was my parents actually put us in a private Christian school. And that was really, that was really cool because a lot of the um, biblical lessons I learned and a lot of my biblical knowledge came from that era of my life, believe it or not. Um, Something about train up a child, I think that's in in there. Um, But I had so much biblical teaching. We actually had a class called Bible class. Can you imagine that in like public schools today? We, we, the first part of our day was talking about the Bible. So I had a love relationship with the Bible, even from a young age. The first person in the Bible that I latched onto from a very early age in these lessons was Moses. Moses was my guy, right? Moses, everything Moses did, I wanted to learn about in Bible class. Um, and what was not to like about Moses, um, He was a man of the people, right? Man of the people for the people. In Exodus 14, starting with verse 11, this is um, the children of Israel. Um, If you don't know the story, he's leading them out of Egyptian bondage. And he says this, and and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And, of course, you know, after that, the Red Sea parted and they walked through on dry land. Moses was the man of the people, even though they were big complainers sometimes. He was a man of the people for the people. I love that about Moses. What else did I like about Moses? I like that he was in communication with God. Some of the most actual real conversations we see take place in the Bible between someone and God is Moses. I mean, this is the guy that got the Ten Commandments in Exodus 24. Uh, Verse 1, then the Lord instructed Moses, come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. God liked Moses. He wanted to be in communication with him. He He was called out for a special purpose. And then, of course, my favorite part about Moses is he had authority, he, that Jesus, that um, he, was in, he was given through God to stand up to Pharaoh. In Exodus 9, we see, go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses, tell him this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they can worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats with a deadly plague. This would be like one of us going up, you know, as Moses went to fair, this would be like one of us going up to a politician and be like, 
hey, it's time, time for you to do something. Moses had authority that God had given him. So how does this apply to me? So I'm in Christian school, right? And, of course, there's a different set of rules in Christian school than public schools are today. Um, they still believed in paddling back then in my school, and I may or may not have pushed the limits of that a few times. I know it's probably hard for you to believe. Um, but one time, very specifically, I remember, I think it was around third grade in Miss Morgan's class, we were outside. So this, the, our school was at a church, and uh, there was, it was in a community, so there were some very clear boundaries that we had to stay inside. And I don't know what we were doing. We were playing kickball or soccer or something like that, and the ball goes out of the, the, the boundary. And my entire class, of course, we didn't have a big class, like 20-something kids, and the entire class goes chasing the ball, and we all got set down for going outside the boundary. Now, as you know, at this point in time in my life, the spirit of Moses is well, swelling up with inside of me. And so I look at Miss Morgan as we're all sitting there in timeout, and I said, Miss Morgan, I think it's time for you to let my people go. And she looked at me and said, Mr. Crane, I think it's time for you to visit the principal's office. And so I did. And um, I get to the principal's office. And I'll never forget the principal looking at me. She said, what could a possibly... Now, this was one of, like, many theological discussions I had with the uh, administration of my Christian school. Growing up as a pastor's kid, I had a lot of uh, things to talk about with them about the, you know, the ins and outs of deep theological discussion. But in this one instance, the principal says, what, what came over you? What were you thinking? And I said, "Ms. Brooks... <laughs> I have, like, the spirit of Moses in me. And she looked and said, well, that's sweet, but you're not Moses. Go back to class. Devastated again, twice in my life now. So after, after my formidable years as in the um, Christian school, I began to get involved with music and church and worship in church, and obviously I still am doing that today. I had a deep love and affinity for worship. Uh, before I ever even played one single time in a worship setting, I actually, we lived in a church parsonage, which if you don't know what that is, it's like the housing that the church has for the pastor's family because um, we were that rich. And um, we, we lived in this parsonage, and it was right next to the church. And I would go over at around seven or eight years old and play. I think we made it to cassettes at this time. So I'd play a cassette tape of my favorite worship songs, and I would, just play, I would play drums to it. It was my first instrument. Um, my dad showed me a few little things. My uncle showed me a few little things, and I did it. Um, my first time playing worship in church was about, I was, guess I was about the same age as my son Joel is now, and the drummer doesn't show up one Sunday, and my mom's like, you're on. That was fun. Um, I hadn't practiced or anything else like that, but that's, that's what I remember about the first time I did worship in church, and obviously it's been, um, I've been in love with it ever since. And as I became more in love with worship, I started reading the word more and more, and I'd gotten over my Moses phase. Now I was on to King David. David was my guy, okay? And still to this day, David is, is like my guy. Um, but definitely during this phase of my life, and 
what did I like about David? Well, what was there not to like about David? He was courageous. Everybody knows about him uh, dropping the giant, but maybe you don't know that even before that, he was talking to King Saul at the time about going and defeating Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 34, it says they didn't want him to fight uh, Goliath, and he persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll go do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armors of the living God. Dang. My man's out here getting bears and lions, okay? Like, we always think it's such a big deal that he killed Goliath, but he's like, yeah, I've, you know, I've killed bears and lions too, so this guy's going to be like my light work. Um, I love David's courageousness. Obviously, one of the things that I love most about David is that, it's, that the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it says, this is um, Samuel talking to Saul about anointing a new king, and he says, but now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be a leader of his people because you have not kept the command of the Lord. And if you don't know, David writes the book of Psalms, which is basically these songs to the Lord. I try to make it a, a practice every year to read the book of Psalms because I'm, I, I do love worship so much. And a lot of the modern day worship songs you hear today are taken right out of the book of Psalms. One of my favorite ones, Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This was David writing for the song leader of the church at the time. David was prolific in his, his words and worship to the Lord, and it's what made me want to be like him um, in every way I thought I could possibly be. Um, as I was doing worship, I had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of really cool things in worship. Um, I've played um, in worship settings with thousands and thousands of youth and kids. I've um, one time, my youth choir was selected to be um, on stage in Washington, D.C. Um, at the National Mall with Michael W. Smith, one of the coolest experiences of my life. I got to do a lot of really cool things in worship over the years. Um, one time when I was at a Israel Hooten concert, um, if you don't know who that is, he's um, big in gospel music and worship music. Um, he hasn't, he hasn't done, done a lot of stuff lately, but we used to do a lot of songs um, from him in our church and I love this guy. I went to go see a concert, um, or worship night is what they called it, at the time with him. And he did one of the most amazing things I've ever seen a worship leader do. He literally opened the book of Psalms with his band playing behind him, and he started singing the words of Psalms totally unprompted, totally just um, spontaneously, and he began singing these words out of the book of Psalms. 
And I loved it. I was on my face. It wasn't anything, it wasn't some words he had written down or anything else like that. He literally opened the book and started singing. So I thought that this was something really, really cool. And I took it back to one of my worship leaders at the time. And I said, this is what he did at this concert. And it's just like David. I mean, he literally was just worshiping with Psalms. And in maybe not such a direct way, the worship leader at the time was kind of just like, that's great, Clay. Really good. And without saying the words exactly, he basically goes on to say, but we're not Israel and we're not David. Again, just crushed in my spirit because now I'm like 0 for 3 here um, in my biblical heroes. And um, I'm not David either. Later on in my teens, in my early 20s, we got really involved with discipleship and really getting into the word of God. This was uh, some of the years that we were just on fire. Samantha and I were part of the same youth, kind of like we hear you guys talk about the Grace Tab years. Um, we had this just collection of people that we really went after God. We were studying in his word. We were doing things called Adopt-A-Block, where we would go out and just literally go on the streets and witness and talk with people. It was an amazing time in my life. And so I'd gotten over my Elvis and my Moses and my David phase. And during this time of discipleship and missions um, and, and really becoming leaders in the church, I started to really get in to my guy Paul, the Apostle Paul. And again, what's not to like about the Apostle Paul? One of the most intelligent people in the Bible, he spoke multiple languages. Um, if, for, if you don't know this, he, um, many of the letters or the epistles that are now books in the New Testament, um, it's believed he wrote at least 13 of them, maybe even 14. There's some debate of whether he wrote Hebrews, but out of the 27 New Testament books, at least 13 are attributed to Paul. And, of course, he founded what the church is today. He, he was the founder, basically, of the church, um, including churches in Antioch, Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, Colossae, and Jerusalem. Paul became my man. I wanted to be an astute, uh, just person of the word. I wanted to get every bit of knowledge I could have, and I wanted, to, I wanted to just be able to speak with authority and power, but not only just because, you know, I felt like it was given to me, but because I knew what it was that I was saying because I was a student of the word. And I'll never forget, we went to a conference at that point in time in my life, and it's just funny how things work out sometimes. We were in this conference, and the speaker, who I loved at the time, starts out by saying, hey, we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul tonight. And I was like, yes, this is like perfectly lining up where I was at in my life. And he starts out by saying, there will never be another Apostle Paul ever again. And I remember writing that at the top of my notes going, wow, how is this happening again? And basically, he made some other points to try to say what he was trying to say in the message, but I couldn't even get into the message because I just remember sitting there feeling, I'm in my early 20s at the time, thinking, man, not Paul either. Ouch. So, at this time in my life, I still was really, really, really engaged 
with um, not only church, but um, this idea of discipleship and really just going after God. This was the time in my life. We kind of talked about this a little bit in the green room this morning. Just this time in your life, everybody seems to have one where you're just like full-heartedly just abandoning everything, going after God. We had a conference at our church um, at that point in time, and a speaker came in. And this was one of the craziest moments of my life. The speaker came in, and he had this thing with him, and he was there for multiple nights, and he brought this thing in, and he, I believe he set it on the communion table. No one even knew what it was at the time. Um, basically, this table that's up in front of the church in some churches, and he sat on the table, and he went about speaking for the rest of the weekend. And on the very last night, he takes this thing, and he said, I feel like God has called me to this church specifically this weekend. And I don't know why, but I brought this with me, and I feel like I'm supposed to give it to someone here this, this weekend. Now, I was very involved with worship at the time. I was even leading worship, I think, um, a lot of, in a lot of instances. So I think I was up on stage or something already. And he turns and he looks at me, and he said, Clay, I feel like this is for you. And he said, what this represents is the mantle of Jesus. And I feel like when I came this week that I'm supposed to basically speak the mantle of Jesus into someone. Obviously, that was a huge weight for me to bear. I never had felt the way I felt in that moment um, ever before. My entire body felt like it was like when your arm's asleep. That's what my entire body felt like I Jesus just hit me so hard in that moment that I didn't even know what to do. I just remember being frozen and feeling that way. And, of course, Jesus was the ultimate goal. All those other guys were great, too, but Jesus was who I wanted to be like, who, who I really wanted to be like. I wanted to talk like him. I love the story in John 8, starting with verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers now? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I love in uh, Christian culture these days, we like to elevate ourselves to Jesus sometimes, and I see that. Jesus, Jesus dined with sinners too. Yeah, he did. But you know what? Jesus also said, go and sin no more. I wonder how often we elevate ourselves to Jesus and we're willing to take on the troubles of this world, but we're not willing to be strong enough to say, go and sin no more. And we allow that to just continue. Sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent. I wanted to do the things that Jesus did. I loved hearing about his miracles. But more importantly than any of that, I wanted to walk in his authority. 
I wanted to have the authority that I knew he had already given me, and I wanted to walk in that. In Mark 11, this was some of the good religious folk talking with Jesus. Verse 27, again they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. I love Jesus, man. He doesn't care. He already knew he had the authority. He was like, just hold on a second. I had that feeling for the longest time, I would never forget, about this mantle of Jesus being placed on me. And I try to operate in it on a daily basis. But over time, like all good Christians, I began to lose that connection with that feeling that I had that day. I began to, to substitute some of the, the daily bread, the bread of life, for just regular old store-bought wheat bread. I began to exchange my spiritual walk with just normal things of this world. And I began to start hearing this thought in my mind that said, you know what? You're no Jesus either. I wasn't necessarily doing anything that we in church would consider like morally bad, but I also stopped being in this relationship that Jesus had created with me. I started trading in the parts of those relationships for things and stuff and people. And the relationship just became stagnant. Sometimes the hardest and one of the ugliest testimonies I hear in the church is not necessarily... You know, I, I said this in, in the room this morning. I said, you know, I was sometimes envious of people's testimony who had come back from this major addiction or these life-altering things because there was this real defining moment in their life where they decided to hand it all over to Jesus. But for me, and maybe for some of you here this morning who have grown up in the culture um, of knowing Jesus, of being around church, Sometimes it's a lot harder to place our finger on the thing that has put us into this stagnation. And it's a lot harder for us to figure out why there's no progress because we're doing all the right motions, but our relationship has gotten cold. I spent a lot of the next few years living in this stagnant state and just living for myself. I was going on about my life, and I think Samantha and I were dating at this time, and I just began working for uh, the Postal Service, and I was still delivering at the time. And I'll never forget this day. 
I was out delivering. It was during like the Christmas season. And I think we had made it all the way up to like, let's see, I did records and cassettes. I think we'd make it up to like iPods at this point. I think, I think I was in an iPod or something similar. And I was listening to my music or books or whatever, but had it on a playlist. And I'll never forget a song that came on. Uh, one of the bands I really like wasn't a Christian band, but I used to really be into this band called Incubus. And they have a song that was like perfect for me called Megalomaniac. And I just happened to be listening to the song while I was out delivering one day. And here are the lyrics of the chorus of that song. Hey, megalomaniac, you're no Jesus. Yeah, you're no Elvis. Step down, step down. I was sitting there in my delivery vehicle and just that all of a sudden hit me. I'd come so far from that point in my life where I had had this real encounter with Jesus and I allowed myself to just take it for granted and I finally had to come to the realization with myself in that moment that you're no Jesus Clay or Moses or David or Paul. Then a voice, and I'm reluctant to call it the voice of God. I, I hope that's what it was. It might have been my own cognition. I know Pastor Corey says everybody wants to hear from God until they do, and then they're like, oh, people are going to think I'm a weirdo now. But I had this moment in that truck where I heard this. See, here's the thing about Elvis. He did a lot of things that a lot of people didn't appreciate, especially in the Christian, in Christian culture. He was kind of a pariah with the way he did things and, and these moves, these new moves and these new sounds he had. And he did a lot of things that the people in the church would deem sinful and, and inappropriate. He died in August of 1977, but before he did, he started singing songs. He, he told his manager that he wanted to start singing songs that meant something to him. He had grown up in, with a gospel background. His mom made sure he was in church. And in June of 1977, just before he died, when he was up singing the songs that really meant something to him, he got up and sang these words. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. In that moment in my delivery vehicle, I began to think about that. I'd seen that video not long before that. And I started to think, you know, Elvis was not this guy that was by Christian standards, was not good or not great by any means, but yet he still had the courage to get up in front of a group of people and sing a song about Jesus. It's even said that in those moments in his Las Vegas show that people gave their life to Jesus over some of these songs that he would sing. 
And then I started to think, you know what? Moses had a couple things going on too. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses, we find out Moses was not a great speaker, even maybe even a stutter when it came to speaking. And this was the guy that was about to go speak in front of Pharaoh. In Numbers 11, Moses complains one of many times about the children of Israel. And in Numbers 20, Moses is so disobedient before God that he doesn't even get to see the very promised land that he spent 40 years in the desert wandering around the sea. My guy David, he had a few flaws too. In 2 Samuel 13, his handling of a family conflict leads to an all-out civil war. In Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21, his disobedience causes a whole national crisis. And of course, everybody knows the story. In 2 Samuel 11, he steals another man's wife and has that guy murdered. This was the guy I was aspiring to be. Even the apostle Paul sometimes came off as proud. In Romans 7, he admits to struggling with his own sin. And we all know that before he was Paul, he was Saul. In Acts 8 and 22, we see that he not only persecuted Christians, but he had them killed. In that moment in my delivery vehicle, I was contemplating these things, and I was thinking, I don't, I don't go through the laundry list of the things that those people did in order to, to make any other point but just say that these people that I was looking to be, they were in no way perfect. And in that moment, I told myself, you're no Jesus. But that voice said, but you still can be. It's not too late. You haven't come too far. See, unlike the rest of these guys, Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. But the cool thing about the Bible is it doesn't say we have to be to be like him. We don't have to be the perfect, spotless person. This is what it says in John 14, verse 12. Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. I don't read anywhere in there where it says, first clean up everything you need in your life. First make sure that you have, you're without sin and then come before me and ask and we'll see what we can do. He says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works. And yet I couldn't even believe that about myself. Maybe this morning, maybe you're in one of the places I was in. I'm going to talk about three different places, and then I'm going to be done. Maybe you're in one of these places and you don't feel like you can accept the mantle of Jesus. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. There's been a couple of words spoken in this church that I felt like were worth repeating this morning. And I want to add on to that as well. I want to be like Jesus. How do I accomplish that? 
here's what I got for you. The first one, one of the very first things I heard spoken in this church when I came to Reclaim Church by Pastor Corey, you will know them by their love. I wanted to be Jesus so bad, and I wanted to be this picture of Jesus that I had, but I couldn't even take on the mantle of his love for other people and for myself. I've, I've brought up this point before in the, uh, the green room. I know some people don't like the green room. I can say it anyway, but um, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I grew up all my life in church, and I heard this over and over about having faith in Jesus and about having the faith to believe and about having faith, the grain of, or, you know, like the, the amount of a mustard seed. But the Bible says that the greatest of these is love. I wonder if, what, if, if the Bible says that we can move mountains with a mustard seed, what could we do with a mustard seed worth of love? What things could we do? What, how could we be like Jesus if we had a mustard seed worth of love or even more? The greatest of these is love. You will know them by their love. Maybe, maybe you, you, this is like a new experience for you, and maybe no one's ever shown you Christ's love before. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that someone hasn't been Jesus enough for you to show you that love. But you will know them by your love. You want to be like Jesus? You'll know them by their love. The second word for being like Jesus, probably what inspired me to speak about this this morning, one of the most impactful things that's ever been spoken into my life and it was this phrase right here. Stop trying to be like Jesus and be with Jesus. It's my man, Pastor Caleb. Man, that Sunday wrecked me. If you haven't heard that podcast, go back and listen to it. See, this is the point of my life I was at. I wanted to be Jesus, but I hadn't been in a relationship with him for the longest time. I told, I, I said this morning that Samantha and I were having this conversation the other day and kind of what birthed this message in my mind. We had the conversation like we do all the time, and I think we were speaking after work, and I said, how was your day? Good, how was your day? This happened, this happened. What's going on with the kids? Good, sounds good. All right, love you, see you in a little bit. And Jesus checked my spirit right then and said, that's how you do me. That's how you do me. Yeah, we talk. But we have that same simple conversation every day. You pray in the morning before you get to work or after, and you say, thank you for this and thank you for that and forgive me of this and forgive me of that. Then you put me away, and we don't see each other again until the next day. I wanted to be like Jesus so much, and I forgot that he just needed me to be with him a little bit too. In John 17, verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I want these whom you have given me 
to be with me here where I am. They can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. Jesus has passed along his mantle to us, but before we can even think about accepting that, he needs us to be with him. He needs us to be in a relationship with him, that he knows he can trust us with the mantle that he has, has placed upon us. Stop trying to be like Jesus and be with Jesus. Finally, number three, the one I want to add to this. Maybe you have shown the love of Jesus and maybe you are in the relationship with Jesus that you need to be in. Maybe for you it's this. Walk in the authority that he has given us. In Ephesians 19, or sorry, Ephesians 1, 19, it says, very popular verse that I'm sure you've heard. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. God's power for us who believe in him is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. It was the one thing I forgot. You know, I hear us talk about sometimes these encounters um, that we've had in um, like restaurants and things where Pastor Corey says, hey, who's, who's God highlighting to you? And there was once upon a time in my life, I don't think I would have been very nervous about that, but I think things maybe have changed a little bit. But God's already granted me the authority. He's already granted me the, the wisdom. I just have to walk into it. I have to step into it. Walk in the authority that he's given us. I want to pray over you this morning. Maybe you're in one of these three places in your, in your walk. Maybe you haven't experienced God's love yet, or maybe you need to show God's love. This is the time. Maybe you need to stop trying to be like Jesus and start being with Jesus. This is the time. Maybe you have hit one and two, but maybe... Maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to step into that authority that he's given you. They're going to sing this song again. And if that's you this morning, if you'll go ahead and just stand up with me. If that's you this morning, I just want you to, in a posture with open hands... Whichever place you're in this morning, I just want you to receive what Jesus is sending down to us this morning. If it's love that needs to grow in your life, ask for love. If it's relationship, ask for relationship. If it's authority, ask for authority.